When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You were there working. I was a beneficiary. Yeah, yeah sure. No, I, I don't deny that. It's, mm. it's definitely easier to earn miles if you're spending someone else's money, right? Yep, yep. But even that aside, everyone's going to have certain expenses in their day-to-day life, right? They're going to have big ticket expenses. So in fact, I will argue if you're not paying for a credit card, you're subsidizing the credit card user's rewards because the company's probably priced in the admin fee into whatever they do anyway, even if you pay with, with, with cash. And so you need to be rich. Hello, my name is Andrew and welcome to another Chill with TFC episode. Today we have Aaron of Mount Lion who's going to share with us travel and hacking secrets. So stay tuned to find out on how you can fly business class without spending any extra money. Well, first let's define the miles game itself. The miles game, if you ask me, is the whole idea of traveling better for less, which means that you don't need to spend silly amounts of money to travel comfortably. So the Miles game is about leveraging credit card, airline, and hotel loyalty programs to get the maximum return for the minimum for the minimum amount of spending. Anyone can spend $10,000 in their first class seat. That doesn't take much brains, right? Anyone can do that. Mm. But how many people can get a first class seat purely from credit card spending, discovering award suite spots, and all sorts of little tips and tricks, right? Not everyone can can do that. So that, to me, is what travel hacking is. It's the whole idea of maximizing your value while minimizing your spending. Okay. Yep. So do you think there's a certain mindset or personality that people who are into the mouse game have? So if you're talking about mindset, right, I think the two different things we have, uh, mouse versus cashback, Miles users will tend to have a longer-term mindset. They value experiences as opposed to as opposed to saving money now. Uh, cashback is a useful tool. Don't don't get me wrong, but cashback the payoff is very short term. I spend this month, I get cash back in the following statement period. With miles, you might have to earn for six, twelve months, even more possibly, depending on where you want to go and how you want to get there. But the payoff from the miles game is so much more than someone who is earning $10, $20 of cashback here, here and there. So I would say that someone who plays the Miles game would tend to have a, a longer-term perspective in terms of payoff. It's like that whole, what was that experiment with the delayed gratification thing? With so the, marshmallows Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, so exactly. So, so Miles letters are the guys who take the marshmallows and just keep accumulating the marshmallows until they get a mega marshmallow. The analogy hasn't gone horribly wrong. But it's it's the kind of thing that, you know, you, you don't see the payoff straight away, but once you get it, I promise you it's a better feeling than, than getting a, a few bucks of cash back here or there. You also need to strategize a bit more. You need to think a bit more. As compared to cashback, it's easy, it's obvious. Oh yeah, no, for, for sure. So look, cashback is is it's the more popular option in Singapore simply because it's it's intuitive. Mm. Everyone intuitively knows the value of a dollar, right? But how many people know what a mile is is worth, right? There's there's a war charts, there's all sorts of redemption options. It's not as intuitive as cold hard cash. So if you think about miles versus cashback as rewards, um, cashback is a one-step thing. You earn the cashback, you spend the cashback. Miles are a two-step thing. You earn the miles and then you have to figure out what to spend the miles on. 
right? So there's there's two layers involved there. And I won't lie, it's not as straightforward as cashback, obviously. I wouldn't call it rocket science either. There are obviously good ways of redeeming your miles and not so good ways of redeeming your miles. But most people with just a, a little bit of reading up, a little bit of background research should be able to, to figure it out. So how do you yourself get into the miles game? My first job out of university was in a management consulting firm. I was based in Mumbai. They're headquartered in Boston, but the closest office they had to Singapore was in in Mumbai. Uh, And as a management consultant, you're on the road like two thirds of the time, at least, if not more. And it's, it's really tiring. But on the plus side, you'll probably never have to pay for a personal vacation ever again because you just earn so many miles and points in the course of your day to day job that you got a big stash that you can then spend on your personal travels. The problem was that very few people in the office knew how to number one, collect miles efficiently, number two, spend miles in value maximization kind of way. So uh, people would just be putting all their spend on the, on the corporate card, company's corporate card, which is terrible earn rate, and they'd be using their miles on things like toasters or, or microwave ovens or, or spending on stuff that doesn't really, really make sense. I didn't you know, I've always been the kind of person who wants to get the most out of every dollar that I spend. So frequent flyer programs were kind of like the natural way of doing that. And I had some knowledge of it before I started work, but when I really started to accumulate them for myself, that that was when I had the extra motivation to dive deeper into the programs, find out the rules, find out what you can do with all your miles, find out what's the best way of earning them, the best way of burning them. And I eventually became the kind of go-to person in the office for all things miles related. So people were saying, well, I've got 10,000 expense to put on my card. Which card should I be using? Oh, I've got 100,000 miles. Where should I be going? That was kind of the genesis of the Mao Lion because I wanted to set up a place where I could refer people to so that if I'm asked the same question for like the 10th time, I can passive aggressively tell them if only there were a website that had all that information. So now you do, now you do. Now, now, now you do. So that was the start of the uh, Mao Lion and my just a way to codify all the stuff that I knew about miles and points into, into one accessible place. What was the difference back then? Um, which year did you start? What was the space like and as compared to now? I wrote my first article in May 2015, and it was really, when, when I started off the model line, I had never even imagined that one day it would become a, a full-time career pursuit. It was always a way for me to blow off steam because I enjoy writing. And I really thought it'd be like one of those angel fire blog pages you start, you know, when you're in JC and you maintain for, for six months. And was then, it Joe Cities as well? Yeah, Joe one Cities of those. or Live Journal. Right. And then two years from then, you look back and say, wow, they really write all that stuff. How, how embarrassing. Right. So it's, it's, I, I always thought it would just go for a while and it would just peter out as I found something more interesting to do. But uh, for whatever reason, it managed to tap into uh, something that wasn't really covered very well at that point in Singapore. So the mouse community in, in Singapore has always been kind of fragmented in the sense that uh, people would hang around like Hardware Zone or maybe the uh, the S2 talk forums, places like that. But there wasn't really a, a blogging community for Miles at, at the time. So I think what the Mao line gave them was a centralized place where they can find information easily, where they can get the latest updates on everything to do with Miles and Points, whether it's credit card promotions, airline loyalty promotions, stuff like that. And that really connected with, with, with some people, I guess. 
And talking about this travel hacking community in Singapore, I'm in a few different Telegram groups myself, mm. TFC included. Yes. And every time I log into Telegram, I don't use it very often, but every time I log in, there's more than a thousand messages. It is a very active community. <laughs> on look, your so, mouth, Ian. Look, I, I can't take all the credit for that. I think part of what you need to consider is that Telegram, by its very nature, is a stream of consciousness kind of medium because it's so instantaneous. It goes on and on. So the average person might post four or five messages in a row. But that having been said, yes, I would say that the, the Maolai Telegram community is pretty active. I think at one point it was on the Telegram's top 100 most active mm -hmm. chat groups in the whole world, which is pretty amazing because most of the other groups were either cryptocurrency groups or pornography groups. So we're, we're, we're pretty high up there, I would say, for a non-crypto, non-porno group. You, you it, beat some of the porno groups? I beat some of the porno groups. Oh, Amazing, yeah. So And that helps to bring the community together as well. Mao's not porno, right? So it's 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 <laughs> really their a place. obsession with Mao's beats porno? Well, yeah, and that's just quite quite a bit, right? That, that people are so interested in the idea of earning Mao's that they want to talk about it 24-7. So the Mao Lions Telegram community, now we've actually split this, there's probably like 10 plus subgroups like all communities there's you know there's stuff there's issues of moderation there's issues of content curation stuff like that but it's it's really worth it because it really brings together very very like-minded individuals so you know you're not the only one who holds up the line to pay because you must find a specific card or you're not the only one whose spouse gets annoyed with you because you have such dogmatic rules about which card you must use when, right? You're, it's you're, like you're, men, men collect you're different alone. things, yes. but you collect miles. Yeah, yes. People collect stamps, collect whatever. I, I collect miles, you know, that's kind of my thing. Yeah, and in the Telegram group, most of the time, it's not even yourself or your team sending messages. It's people asking questions and then someone else answering them. Exactly. It's really a community. It's, it's a self-sustaining community. Yeah, I, so, could, I could disappear tomorrow and they, they probably do do just fine. Yeah, someone else would just, yeah. just take over. But right now, you know, Mao Lion is kind of leading in this space. Would you say that? Say that? I would say that in terms of community uh, engagement and all, I, I believe that Mao Lion has brought together a, a really critical mass of people who are into Miles and Points collection. But of course, the entire blogging space uh, in Singapore for Miles, there are other sites as well. I, I do know some of the guys like Mark from The Shadow World is an amazing guy. They all focus on their own things, right? They ha we all have slightly different takes on things. So Mark is, is a very visual guy. He loves to do the hotel and airline reviews. His photos are amazing. My photos typically look like they're taken through a potato, right? So it's 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 kind of like a different focus on depending what you really like. If you like to look for beautiful photos, if you want certain kinds of analysis, it's it's a, it's a community that is growing uh, and and has grown significantly, I'd say, since since 2015. But again, you know, it's 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 always good to hear different perspectives, to learn new things. I find out a lot of new things through the community, right? Stuff that I'm not aware of, stuff that I didn't know was possible, right? And it really just helps because it, it's like a whole network effect. The more people you have, the more connections there are, the more ideas get generated. And it's like having a, a whole uh, hive mind of mouse collectors who know every single rule, every single loophole, every single this and that about the mouse pro. It's I'm like playing a game. I would describe it as a RPG, a role-playing game in which you you know slay monsters and you collect gold coins in exchange for upgrades and shield and armors and what have you. Yeah. But you're collecting it in real life in exchange for a first-class ticket. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's it's pretty amazing. And 
people will say things like, oh, the mouse game now isn't as exciting or as attractive as it was five, 10 years ago. Devaluations have happened. Program rules have tightened. Loopholes have been shut. It's true to an extent, but that's, again, the very nature of something as dynamic as the mouse game because opportunities will come and go, right? There were some amazing tricks and things that you could do five years ago that you can't do. But, you know, new things will come up. There will be new opportunities and it's all about finding those new opportunities. Mm. Back then when you started, you probably didn't know you would grow to this level mm. and you were in management consultancy, you were earning big bucks, have all the travel perks and you were doing more line at a site. Mm. So what made you decide to make a switch? You quit a job, right? To do this full-time. Like what was the pay cut? So typically what happens in a management consultant's career path is if you enter as an associate, someone with an undergraduate degree, you do maybe two to three years uh, and then after that, you have two options. Option one is that you go and do an MBA, right? And then you come back at the, the principal consultant level and then you continue more of the same. Only now you've got an expensive MBA to your name. Uh, option two is that you exit typically to a space like private equity or maybe technology. We've had a lot of people pivot to grab an Uber back in the day. And then there's kind of like the unspoken option three, which is you go and do your own thing, which mm. is what I eventually ended up doing. Uh, it was a mixture of push and pull factors. I, uh, at the time I joined my company, it was an independent boutique firm. But a few years later, one of the big four bought the firm over and they've got a very different culture, a very different way of doing things. I can say it now because I'm no longer involved in that space, but I would say for the record, I'm going to say it right now, the big four are a reverse Midas when it comes to consulting firms. Everything they touch turns to not gold, right? <laughs> so it's a very different kind of environment. I, I didn't enjoy that. A lot of my colleagues left. I decided, okay, well, you know, this is not for me anymore. That's going to be in the trailer. <laughs> That's going to be in the trailer. I don't yeah. care. Well, as I think, yeah, so uh, that was the push side. But on, on the pull side, right, I had the, the benefit of having done the Mao line for about three years at that point in time. So it wasn't a complete shot in the dark because I could see that it was, okay, it's generating some money. There's a good growth in readership. Uh, they're quoted in the press here. People are aware of the Mao line. They know that it exists, right? Banks are willing to talk, uh, willing to make deals in terms of affiliates. There's a revenue model there that was sustainable. Now, is it as much as the current job? Maybe not, right? But is it enough to get by? Oh, definitely so. Is there potential? Yes. Yeah. To so there was further. definitely potential there. So my thought process at the time was, hey, look, you know, why don't I try it out for six months, right? If this all crashes and burns, six months is a decent enough gap in the CV that it doesn't raise too many questions, especially if you can show them that you are doing something as opposed to lying on the beach half naked with a Mai Tai, mm -hmm. right? So I said, do it for six months, see what happens. If after six months, it's something that doesn't work out, it's fine. There's other places that I can take the five years of management consulting experience and go into. And if it works out well, this could be something very, very interesting. I think it also, uh, there were some personal issues as well. Like I was about to get married mm -hmm. at that point in time. I The typical test of whether you want to stay in a job is you ask yourself, do you want your bosses? And I see the kind of hours that my bosses were putting in, the travel schedule, the demands on them, even though they've got young families, right? They, they feel, they've got kids. And that kind of lifestyle might be sustainable when you're like single and ready to mingle. But once you settle down, it's, it's a completely different ballgame. So I had to prioritize, I guess. And I think it was much more important to put the emphasis on dating marriage off to a good start, settling down, building good foundations, right? Both in terms of figuring out a routine for your new married life, having some stability, like not disappearing every every few months for like a few weeks at a time. You know, just having that good foundation to start off a marriage, I thought was extremely. So mixture of things, but long story short, October 2018 was when I said, okay, I'm going to go and do the Mao Lion full-time. And we've just passed our fourth 
for here we birthday. Are. So here, here, here we are right now. Right. So let's debunk some myths about collecting miles. Mm. One of them would be, like, is it for the rich, the wealthy, the elite? And well, for you, you started because your company were sponsoring, okay, not sponsoring, you were there working. I was a beneficiary. Yeah, yeah sure. No, I, I don't deny that. It's, mm. it's definitely easier to earn miles if you're spending someone else's money, right? Yep, yep. But even that aside, everyone's going to have certain expenses in the day-to-day life, right? They're going to have big ticket expenses, renovations, right? Having a kid. There's just going to be life events that pop up that require you to spend money anyway. So the question is, how are you going to get the most out of that spend, right? Because you could pay in cash, which earns you absolutely nothing. You could pay with a debit card that earns you probably close to nothing. Or you can pay with a credit card, which costs exactly the same in most cases and earns you something in return. So in fact, I would argue if you're not paying with a credit card, you're subsidizing the credit card users' rewards because the company's probably priced in the admin fee into whatever they do anyway, even if you pay with, with, with cash. And so do you need to be rich to earn miles? No, absolutely not. You just need to be able to plan your spending in a way that maximizes your return. And in fact, one of the most amazing things about doing what I do is that I've had people uh, coming up to me at some of the events and all. They, they, they work as, as teachers, as mid-level civil servants, you know, not poor by any means, but people who are solidly middle, middle income, right? And they're saying that they never thought they'd ever set foot inside a business class cabin, but, you know, last year they were able to take their family on that trip and it was so amazing. And that's just incredible to hear because before we had miles, you know, business class first class cabins were the exclusive domain of the very well healed, right? C-suite level people, celebrities, rich people, who were able to pay that money because honestly, anyone who pays $8,000 for eight hours, nine hours of comfort, that's it's probably quite dear, mm. right? That's, that's, that's probably more than I pay for, for comfort. But because miles exist, you don't have to spend that amount of money. So that to me is, is the whole beauty of the miles game. I see it as the great leveler. Right, the whole idea that the business class cabin has become democratized. Sorry, buzzword, but yes, that's that's pretty much what it is. It's untouchable, but now it's accessible. It is accessible, and it's uh, just a way of getting a good rebate on what you're going to spend anyway. So, in fact, I would argue that some of the rich people don't don't really care about the miles in the first place because you so know they can afford it, they can afford it anyway. Too much work. Yeah, granted, there's always a segment of, of wealthy people who are very meticulous about that sort of stuff. But you know, when you read news reports about that guy in Hong Kong who uses Amex Black Card to buy a what twenty, thirty, don't know whatever million dollar painting, he probably earned a really terrible rate because the black card is not like a, a card that you use for most of your spending. But he didn't care because he's charging $30 million to the card, right? So whatever rebates he's going to earn, even though the, the points per dollar is probably really bad, right? Through sheer mass, he's going to earn a whole lot. And that's good for him, right? But not everyone's going to put $30 million through a credit card. So you could get into the game, just need to be interested. You could. Uh, and as I said at the start, it's not as slam dunk a proposition as cashback in terms of how intuitive it is. But it is it is a discipline that rewards people who really take the time to figure out, you know, what card to use, how to use my mouse. Very, very... Any other myths that you always have to dispel? People always get wrong. Some people have concerns initially that applying for multiple cards will affect their credit score. And it absolutely can if you don't use the cards responsibly. So one thing that I should state very clearly is that the mouse game is a way of not leaving money on the table. Mm. It's not an excuse to put more money down. If I need to spend $5,000 anyway, right, to renovate my house or buy new furniture or whatever, I might as well use a credit card. But a credit card should not be a reason for me to spend $5,000 I would not have spent in the first place. It's a very important difference, right? And the thing with credit cards 
is that they're only, they're just like any other tool. They can be very useful if used responsibly. They can be very dangerous if used irresponsibly. But credit cards in and of themselves do not hurt your credit score. In fact, what they do, if used responsibly, which means that you pay off your bill in full and on time every month, don't carry a balance, right? Don't incur late fees. That helps build your credit profile which then is important when you're applying for a housing loan, a car loan, whatever it is, because it shows to the bank, hey, this person is capable of responsibly using credit. Uh, there are some people who mistakenly believe that if you just avoid credit cards altogether, your credit score will be better. But that doesn't always apply because what happens in that case is that if the bank pulls your credit history, it doesn't see anything. It has no idea how to assess you. Mm. So responsible use of credit cards is a good way of building up your credit score. And even though that potentially could be a short-term hit if you apply for like 10 cards in quick succession. Over time, as you establish a track record of paying it back in time and on full, it's going to improve. So case in point, I have probably two dozen credit cards. I still have a double A credit score rating uh, simply because pay off in full and on time. So as long as you pay off in full, this miles gain is not going to affect your credit score. As long as you don't do stupid things, right? You, you treat credit cards as debit cards with reward in the sense that you don't use it to spend more than you have. If I have $10,000 in my bank account, I don't spend more than $10,000, right? It's, 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 just, it's just simple math. Really back to basics, financial literacy. Yes, yeah. You have to get Absolutely. it done. Yeah. All right, let's move into tactics. What's your current setup to accumulate miles? I mean, at your level, it's probably a bit different. So I would say in the whole idea behind accumulating miles quickly is to use the right card in the right situation. So that's the number one rule I keep driving into people. Many people will ask, you know, I just want to carry one card and I use one card for everything. And the answer is yes, you can use one card for everything in the same way that you could probably walk to Bangkok. It's technically possible. It's just <laughs> okay. not the smartest or the most efficient way of doing it. So you will have to apply for more than one card, but you don't need to use like, I said I said 24 cards just now, right? But yeah. I'm kind of an, an outlier in, in, that, in that respect. So if I were telling someone who's just starting off in the miles game, someone who is earning the the basic income required for a credit card, which is $30,000, I would say, number one, go get yourself a UOB preferred platinum visa. Uh, what this card does is you add it to your mobile wallet, right? So your Google Pay, your Apple Pay. And every time you tap to pay, you earn four miles per dollar, right? Which is amazing because the typical general spending card earns you 1.1 to 1.4 miles per dollar Right? So someone who's earning four miles per dollar is earning three times as fast. And that means you earn your vacation three times more quickly with three times less spending. So everywhere where there's contactless payments, you use your UOB preferred platinum visa paired to your mobile payments. Right? Everyone should also go and get a DBS Women's World card. Now, despite the name, the card is gender egalitarian. Men can get Men it. Men and women can get it equally. And in fact, if you look at the card art that DBS has created, it's actually a man's name. I'm serious. Go, go, go Google the DBS woman's card right now on Google Images. You see an, an Elliot something or other whose name is on the card. So if that's not a, a hint, I don't know what is. Okay. And this card is used for online spending. The first 2000 every calendar month of online spending will earn four miles per dollar. And the typical person is going to do a whole lot of online spending, right? Your Grab, your GoJet rides, your Amazon, Lazada, your online groceries, your movie tickets, your air tickets, everything that's online, right, will earn four miles per dollar. You can also go and apply for a city rewards card. Uh, which is also four miles per dollar on all online spending with the exception of travel. So don't use it for air tickets or hotels, but your Grab, GoJet, Deliveroo stuff is all completely fine. Uh, and as a fourth card, I recommend a HSBC Revolution. HSBC Revolution, also four miles per dollar on the first 1,000 every month on things like groceries, dining, hotels, air tickets, Grab, GoJet, right, stuff like that. 
So what you might be noticing I'm saying is I'm always saying four miles per dollar. Right? Yeah, four miles like per dollar is the, the gold goal. standard. Okay. That is absolutely what you should be aiming. In fact, you should use your so-called general spending card, like the city premium miles or a UOB preferred a UOB privy miles card that earns 1.2 to 1.4. You should use that as little as possible, right? Because you don't want to be earning 1.2, 1.4 miles per dollar when you can be earning four miles per dollar, right? So that's what I mean by optimization, right card, right situation. Uh, put it in perspective, someone who spends $30,000 over the course of a year, which if you think about it, is, is pretty achievable. It's 2005, right? Uh, $30,000 over the course of a year. If he were to put all that money on a general spending card, like say City Premier Miles, he'd earn 36,000 miles, which is a decent-ish haul, but that's probably like an economy class ticket to, I don't know, Australia or somewhere within the region, right? If he were to put that same $30,000 spending on four miles per dollar cards, that's 120,000 miles. That is a round-trip business class ticket to Japan or South Korea, and then some additional miles left over for like Bali or something. So it is a world of difference. And remember, he's spending exactly the same amount of money. He's spending $30,000 in both scenarios. But in one scenario, he is optimizing. In the other, he is not. So going back to my point earlier when I said, every time you do not use the right card, you are leaving money on the table. Right card, right situation. Right card, right situation. I'll use my experience as an example. So back then, a long time ago, when I first got started in the workforce, I got the DBS visa altitude. Altitude visa? And yes. the only reason I got that was because the points don't expire. Hmm. How it works, as you would know, is that you collect the DBS points. You can, of course, exchange it for other things as well. Yep. But you can exchange it for, for miles. And what I like is that because... I don't really travel very often. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure when I'm going to travel. I don't want a mouse to expire. Sure. So what, what am I doing wrong? How can I up my mouse game? You raised the point about mouse expiry, and that's a valid concern. Uh, but there's two things to think about, right? So you need to remember there's two kinds of expiry. There's expiry on the bank side, and then there's expiry on the airline. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Side. So when DBS Altitude says that their points never expire, they mean their DBS points will never expire. But once you transfer them over into Chris Flyer, you get another three years of validity. So I mentioned the DBS Women's Card just now, right? The points earned on the DBS Women's Card expire after one year, which is not a lot. But after one year, you transfer them over to Chris Flyer, and then you have another three years. So oh, it's a total years. of four years. Okay. And four years is a good amount of time. I think anyone who can't earn at least one award within four years might not be spending very efficiently or maybe simply doesn't spend uh, in, in yeah. any significant means right, to, to be playing the mouse game. So you'll have at least four years in, in most scenarios right, to spend those miles. Now, the thing about non-expiring points is that they're always welcome. And it's not just DBS altitude, right? City mm -hmm. Premier Miles, OCBC 90N, all these points don't expire. But the problem with non-expiring miles is that they may make people believe that they've got forever to spend them which is not true because as we saw recently, airlines can and do conduct devaluations every now and then, which is what we call when they increase the price of award tickets, right? And that's a natural part of the miles process, right? No one likes it, but it's kind of inevitable. And if you leave your points there forever, well, points are the worst investment to hold. Let me put it that way. Okay. Right? Gone, gone are the years where a salaryman would work his entire life, 30 years, save up all his miles and use them to see the world when he retires, right? The thing is that miles are the worst investment to hold because because number one, 
they don't earn interest, right? Number two, they can only be devalued, right? There's no such thing as a revaluation, right? And number three, there's there's no deposit insurance, you know? I'm not, obviously it's quite safe with Singapore Airlines, but if what we did see during COVID is some airlines going belly up and then what happens to your miles after that, no one, no one really knows. So it's for that reason that you don't hold miles as an investment. Miles are meant for earn and burn. You earn them, you spend them, right? That should happen as soon as possible, right? It doesn't have happen straight away. But anyone who's holding on to miles for three, four years, not doing anything with them, well, you're probably not doing it right. Yeah, that, that's my experience because I've been collecting the miles for some time and then it doesn't seem to be able to exchange for something worthwhile. Well, it's like there's no utility until you actually spend them unless mm. you're like get a kick out of seeing the balance increase. But yeah, yeah you, you got to spend them. And you've got to think of it as an asset that depreciates over time. It is a depreciating asset, exactly. Okay. All right. So then do you have different credit cards for different purposes? Like overseas spending, yeah. dining, So um, earlier on, I alluded to a few of those. Like HSBC Revolutions, good for dining, good for groceries. In addition to this, uh, if you're going overseas, one of the things that I highly recommend is to get an Amaze card. So Amaze is a debit card issued by InstaRAM. You may have heard of their, their funds transfer product before. But what Amaze does is that it pairs with a credit card. So every time I use the Amaze card overseas, let's say I'm in the US, I spend 10 USD. Amaze converts the 10 USD into Singapore dollars at a very reasonable rate, right? And charges the credit card that you've linked to it in Singapore dollars. So what happens then is I'm paying in Singapore dollars without the crazy markup, but I still earn my credit card rewards as per normal. And the Amaze card will earn four miles per dollar with the City Rewards card capped at the first $1,000 every statement month. So what I'm doing essentially is number one, I'm avoiding foreign currency transaction fees. Number two, I'm earning four miles per dollar on all of my overseas spend. And number three, I'm earning 1% cash back from the Amaze card itself. So it's like win, win, win. It's pretty amazing. Uh, I don't think they'll last forever. So DBS recently moved to exclude the Amaze card from its rewards program. Tragic, but it was going to happen sooner or later. Citibank hasn't done the same for now. Who knows by the time this goes to to, to broadcast, it, it might have happened, but it hasn't happened yet. So it's kind of like the whole make, make hay while the sun shines kind of thing. Uh, Amaze card, excellent tool to use for all your overseas spending. If you like to shop, uh, OCBC Titanium Rewards is a good option as well. OCBC Titanium Rewards earns four miles per dollar on all of your online and offline shopping. So things like Amazon, Lazada, Q10, department stores, you know, bag shoes and clothes kind of thing. Capped at about $13,000 uh, every membership year. And what's great is that this cap is applied based on the membership year. So most of the cards I was telling you about previously cap your four miles per dollar on the month. So if I am buying a, I don't know, a computer, it costs $3,000, right? And if my card's four miles per dollar cap is $1,000, then I'm wasting $2,000 mm. to spend because it's beyond the cap. But if I use something like the OCBC Titanium Rewards, which is four miles per dollar on $13,000 of spend every, every membership year, well, I can straight away use $3,000 of that cap, which is pretty good, right? And then once that cap is busted, obviously, I switch to, to, to something else. Maybe some of the other cards you might be interested in is cards like the UOB Ladies card. Now, unlike the DBS Women's card, the UOB yeah, Ladies card really is for ladies. really for ladies only, unfortunately. But why it's such a useful card is because it lets you pick different bonus categories every quarter. So this quarter, you might choose dining as your bonus category, which is you earn four miles per dollar on all your dining, restaurant, fast food, delivery time expenses. But next quarter, you might be going overseas. So you pick travel as your bonus category, and then you earn four miles per dollar on airfares and hotels, stuff like that. Or maybe the following, the following quarter, you're going to uh, do a lot of shopping. Then you choose shopping as your bonus category, and then you earn four miles per dollar on your department stores, bed shoes, clothes, that sort of thing. So it's a very flexible card. It can be different things to different people, depending at what point of their life they're at. 
right now. And that's also another one that I really recommend people getting. Just you really got to think about it, strategize a bit. There is strategizing involved, right? It's not as straightforward as just use one card everywhere or just use a cashback card. But again, going back to what I said at the very start, right? The, the payoff for doing 30 minutes of strategizing is immense. It's right? worth it. And All it's right. totally worth So let me put it another way, right? I've never heard someone who having sat down in business class and got their first glass of pre-departure champagne has ever complained, I spent one hour <laughs> trying to figure out how to earn all those miles, right? No one has ever said that. So get to that state, champagne is always good. You mentioned the Amaze cards. So there are mm. multi-currency cards like Revolut. Revolut, U-Trip, etc. People use Wise. What's the difference between using yeah, these? I, I generally don't recommend those cards for the simple reason because because uh, they don't earn rewards. So cards like those, it used to be back in the day before the Amaze card existed, that U-Trip Revolut, they had a valid value proposition because option A is that I use my credit card overseas and I earn miles, but I pay fees. Option B is that I use Revolut overseas. I don't earn any rewards, but I don't really pay fees because the rates they offer are very competitive. But now we have option C, which is I earn miles and I don't pay the fee. Right. So it's win, win, win. So there's really no reason why anyone would use credit card with normal fees or Revolut with no fees when you can get credit card rewards and no fees. Right. It's the best of all worlds. Right. And that for the moment, like I said, I don't know how long it lasts for, has rendered the other two options in my mind irrelevant. So maybe at most you get a Revolut or U-Trip if you want to withdraw cash overseas. And then, yeah, you, you change your money, you put it in your wallet, you go to an ATM, you enjoy the fee-free withdrawals. That could be a valid use case. But as far as I'm concerned, if you're going to a country where credit card acceptance is widely, is, is the norm, then it's just silly not to earn those miles, not to earn those, those points. So I think one win helping us to think about how to strategize is to understand the value of one mile you mentioned earlier. Yeah. It's not straightforward. So tell us about that. And also how does depreciation play into this miles? So let's start with valuation of a mile because mm. that's such a fundamental question. If you don't know how to value a mile, you will not be able to make any decision like, hey, uh, should I use my card overseas to yeah. earn miles, right? Because it's a 3% fee, but I earn this number of miles. Or should I use the cashback? Should I use should the, the cashback miles card? card? It's confusing. Uh, you know, some merchants, even though they're not supposed to, will charge a credit card surcharge. I'm sure you might have encountered a merchant that says, you want to pay your card, pay me 2%, 3% more. Usually Amex. Usually. Is, <laughs> is it worth it, right? Mm. We don't know. Uh, should I use my miles to redeem a toaster, right? Or you know, Chris Plus, uh, this app by Singapore Airlines lets you spend your miles on bubble tea, right? Is that a good idea? You can't answer any of these questions unless you know how to value a mile. So the thing about miles valuation is that it's inherently subjective and different people will value a mile differently. It depends on your travel patterns, your redemption patterns, your own personal philosophy towards value versus experiences. Uh, we don't have time to go into all mm. that. It's a very long discussion, which I've written about on the mile line. But I would say, me personally, I take miles at about 1.5 cents each. And that's taking in mind the recent Chris Fly devaluation that we've seen as well. So 1.5 cents per mile, right, is the valuation that I use when deciding whether or not it's worth it to pay the annual fee on the card to earn miles, whether it's worth it to make all those other decisions that I mentioned earlier. 1.5 cents per mile, but how do you arrive at that figure? Yeah, so it is as much art as it is science. What I do when I look at it, and by the way, we're talking about Chris Flyer miles just for general contents. Obviously, yeah. different miles will we have, SIA, will have different valuations, so it's like different currencies. So 1.5 cents per Chris Flyer mile, uh, it's based on two things. Number one, what's the typical rate that I am buying my miles at? Because there are ways for people to buy miles explicitly. Uh, case in point, City Pay All. It's a bill payment service that lets you pay your income tax, your rent, your MCST fees, stuff like that. Using your Citibank card, they charge you a 2% admin fee. 
But from now until end of July, they're giving you 2.5 miles per dollar. So that's 0.8 cents per mile. Is that a good price to pay? I think it's a pretty good price. But the only way you answer that is if it's below your valuation, right? So I can buy miles at 0.8 cents. I value them at 1.5 cents. It's a no-brainer, right? Mm -hmm. So I looked at the options I have to purchase miles. And then I also looked at what I'm typically redeeming miles for. So someone who always spends their miles on bubble tea in that hypothetical scenario, right, would be getting about 0.67 cents per mile. Right, then he would never pay 0.8 cents per mile, right? If he's always getting 0.67 cents of it, it just doesn't make sense. Right. But based on my own personal travel and redemption patterns, I typically get about at least two cents per mile uh, when I redeem my miles for business first class travel. And that's my own calculus. Like different people will have different uh, redemption patterns and therefore different valuations. But that's sort of how I come to it. Now, why exactly is 1.5 and not 1.55, 1.6? It is not. There is no algorithm That's for doing this. Part it of is it, yeah. correct. It is as much an art. It's kind of like a gut feel. Mm. And different people will come to different valuations that are perfectly valid for them in their own circumstances. I think that's very important to, to mention here because mm. I don't see it so much as a prescriptive number. I don't want someone to go away saying, well, Aaron takes 1.5 cents per mile, so I should do the same thing. Absolutely not. Right? That is my own valuation. Different people will have higher valuations. Some people will have lower valuations. The only thing I will say about lower valuations is that if your valuation drops below a certain figure, then cash bet might be the better option. Uh, because my 1.5 cents is a captive currency, right? Because I can only spend that within the SIA ecosystem. Mm. Versus 1.5 cents of cash back is, well, cash is cash, right? So it is more fungible, right? So those are some of the considerations that tell people to take in mind. Well, it's, a, it's a heuristic, it's a useful rule of thumb. It's and it helps you to think about, you know, whether you should pay your annual fees, which gives you miles. Yeah, but don't get too dogmatic about the whole mm. thing because it will, it will vary, it will change. When I first started playing the miles game, it was probably closer to, to two cents, right? But you know, the, you mentioned devaluations at the start. Mm, so yeah. devaluations happen um, typically every three to four years, although now the cadence could be too discreet. It, yeah, it remains to be seen how, how, how post-COVID affects all of that. Uh, but if there's any silver lining uh, about the recent CRISPR devaluation, number one is that the increases were fairly mild. It was about an 8% to 16% increase. No one likes paying 8 to 16% more, but I can tell you compared to some of the other devaluations I've seen other programs doing, which is 30, 40, 50%, this is a relative drop in the bucket. The other point I'd make is that they haven't brought back fuel surcharges. So, you know, all prices going up, even Emirates in the UAE, where oil supposedly grows on trees, is charging ridiculous fuel surcharges right now. And Singapore Airlines hasn't done that yet. So when I redeem an award ticket with my miles, I only pay the airport taxes, right? Which makes it very reasonable. Right. Singapore Airlines did away with a few surcharges, I think, in 2017. And given what's happening right now, it would have been easy for them to just say, hey, fuel is too expensive, I'll bring them back. But they haven't done that. And I think we can be very, very, that that hasn't happened. So devaluations are a fact of life, right? They sting, they hurt. But I feel the recent one is almost like the dodge bullet. People online are up in arms. I've read the most amazing Facebook comments talking about how Singapore Airlines has betrayed the public trust because we built them out and now they're doing this to us. Ah, come on, guys. It is, it is part and parcel that's of, the internet of what for happens. You. That is the internet for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I am the first person to say I hate paying 8 to 16% more, but it could have been so much worse. And if anything, this buys us a few years of peace and quiet, right? We're not going to have to worry about devaluations for at least two years, hopefully three. So, you know, that gives you time to consolidate and there's still time to redeem your miles at the existing rates, right, before 5th July. Do your vacation planning now, get it done for the next year and then you're still able to enjoy the, the current prices. Okay, we've covered a lot about miles, but miles is also about uh, travel hacking sites. Are there yeah. any general tips about 
your hotels, your accommodation, you know, other travel-related hacks that you want to share? Well, how much time do you have? Uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm off the top of my head. Uh, if you're in a position to apply for an APEC business travel card, you should absolutely do so. So the APEC business travel card is a special scheme within the APEC economies uh, that allows you to skip the immigration lines. Well, not skip, but to access the, the faster immigration line uh, in places like Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand, US, Canada, right? It's just a major convenience, right? And if you're in a position position to apply for the card, I believe the criteria is that you must show proof that you travel frequently for work. So get your HR department to write a letter or something like that. That will save you so much time, right? It costs about $100 and it's valid for until your, your passport expires, I think. So that's a, a good amount of time to, to, to make use of it. I would also highly recommend that you pick a hotel loyalty program and you get familiar with it, especially if you travel for business, right? Where you're able to charge those expenses to a client or it's not you picking up the bill. Pick a chain, stay loyal to it. I would recommend probably Merit for their footprint or Hired in terms of how good the loyalty program is, although Hired's footprint is a lot smaller. And once you start hitting the elite tiers, you start to enjoy things like room upgrades, free breakfast, bonus points. It, it, the benefits really, really add up. So I think that's a lot better than just picking on hotels.com, whatever the cheapest option is. Although that could be a valid option, again, for someone who mostly does leisure travel, then yeah, absolutely. If you're doing leisure travel, I wouldn't tie myself to one loyalty program because that restricts your options, right? Uh, and I would much rather have a nice hotel on the beach than force myself to pick a chain hotel downtown that I don't really like just because of, of loyalty, right? But you know, if it's a business trip, the, the whole uh, equation is, is, is a bit different. Uh, I would also recommend that um, when you're when you're headed overseas, right? Uh, I mentioned the Amaze card. I think that is an amazing tool to have, right? As long as they don't nerf the rewards. So let's hope that continues for the foreseeable future. And some other tips. If you must carry cash, uh, one service I recently discovered is something called Chani Travel Exchange. So typically airport money changers, only a place that suckers go to or people who are completely desperate, mm -hmm. right? Because the rates they charge, you're basically paying for the location, right? It's kind of like a location surcharge. But Chani Travel Exchange lets you transact that rates that are very close to what you find at money changers at the arcade or Lucky Plaza or stuff like that. And then on the day of travel, you go, you pick up your cash from a Chani Recommends uh, booth and then you go and travel. And you're paying rates that are more or less comparable to what you find elsewhere. So you get all the convenience of an airport money changer without all the getting screwed of an airport money changer. Right? And I think that's something I'm going to explore for, for my next few set, set of travels. Well, we could possibly do another episode because it feels like it deserves an oh, episode yeah. of its, its own, right? There, there's, there's so much stuff and I'm still learning new stuff every single day. It's, exactly. It's really amazing. Yeah, so let us know in all the social media channels if you were like us to, you know, get Aaron on board, you know. Apart, we, we covered mainly on miles today, but there's so much about travel hacking itself. Yeah. Right. And it seems like for your blog, is there's a never-ending content going on, which which is good, right? Because you never run into writer's blog. There's always new things to mm. talk about. Yeah. But is it hard sustaining it? Because back then, what, what I see in your life is that, you mentioned a few things, right? Don't put money on the table. It feels like you don't let your spending go to waste. Yeah. You really optimize it. And it's fun for you. It's not a difficult thing. It it's is. actually fun. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So I think one thing I've noticed in terms of doing this as a side hustle versus doing it full time. When I first started doing the mile line, I would publish maybe two posts a week, maybe three posts if I were feeling it. Now the, the cadence is about two posts every day at least. Whoa. So it's not difficult for someone like me who enjoys writing, but uh, it does feel... Uh, well, content is what keeps people coming back. Content is obviously very, very important, right? People want to learn new things. They want to see new stuff. They don't want to read the same stuff over and over again. 
So it is it is very important uh, to have fresh ideas, fresh angles. And that's why I'm very grateful for people who send me tip-offs about, hey, have you seen this? Have you seen that? Or little tricks they've discovered. You know, it, it really helps because there are admittedly some days where I'm trying to figure out what can I be writing about? Like what's what's going on, what's happening. And that's kind of like the worst feeling because I have this itch at the back of my head mm-hmm. that doesn't feel scratched unless I publish two posts for the day. Uh, but that being said, I, I don't think it's it's too hard for someone like me who enjoys writing. You know, once I get the idea to come up with the post, to do the graphics, to do the table, typically each post may be an hour, an hour and a half. It depends how much research needs to be done. But yeah, it's it, there's, there's, there's never a day when I've woken up and, and, I, and I said, mm. I don't feel like writing. Because even when I was doing this as a side hustle, the whole point was it was an escape from building financial models and and drafting surveys and then stuff that I didn't, well, that paid the bills, but I didn't particularly feel enthused about. Mm, So it's not a case of running from one hamster wheel in management consultancy into another hamster wheel of content. This is something that I would do even if you didn't pay me. Let me me put it that way. Mm. That's that's the beauty of it. Um, I am very, very fortunate to do what I do right now because it never feels like work, right? Every day when I wake up, it's something I would probably do even if I had a job elsewhere, right? I would probably still be writing about miles and points because I generally enjoy writing about miles and points. And you have the freedom and flexibility. You, you mentioned your wife, right? You know, mm. Setting up a family, you want to have more time yeah. for all these things. It is an extremely privileged position. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. I think that the ability to find something that you're really passionate about, that pays the bills, that gives you freedom, to set your own hours, take your own projects. That is such a rare privilege that it seems inappropriate to complain in the slightest mm. about, about it. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah. We'll see you again. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, I hope you've learned something useful today and I truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with the financial coconuts. Knowledge is that much more powerful and interesting when shared, debated and discussed. Join our community Telegram group, follow us on our socials, sign up for our weekly newsletter. Everything is in the description. If you love us and want to help us grow, definitely share the podcast with your friends and on your socials. For more information, check out thefinancialcoconut.com. With that, have a great day ahead, stay tuned next week, and remember, personal finance can be chill, clear, and sustainable for all. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So what has been your best and worst investment that you've ever made? It doesn't have to be financial. It could be an investment of your time, your energy, your efforts. What do you think? Uh, probably one of the not so ideal investments or places that I've been putting time into when I when I first started, when I started my first job, you know, you're at the stage where you're planning your finances, you're figuring out how you're going to allocate your money every month, uh, how much you're going to put in things like equities or your insurance plans or stuff like that. Uh, I unfortunately went to buy one of those uh, investment link plans, one of those ILPs, which I only <laughs> discovered a few years down the road really benefits the agent who sells it to you. 
So, you know, it's it's like it's one of those things that comes with a whole lot of fees. And if you're lucky at the end of 10 years, you see some sort of return there. But it probably wasn't the best thing I've ever done. Uh, but it is good from an education point of view. Like it teaches you what you probably shouldn't be doing with, with your, your money. And ever since then, I pretty much preferred to handle all, all of my investments for myself. You know, sticking to the philosophy that insurance is for protection, not for investment, right? Use insurance for protection, use investment for investment. Uh, in terms of best investment, I would say I really, I'm seeing what I'm seeing pay dividends in my life right now. It's been a long habit of spending time to to write. Uh, mm. Because it's one of the things I, you know, right now writing comes to me very, very naturally, right? When I, I think I express myself best through, through writing. But it wasn't always like that. I think it was because uh, from young, my, my, my mom was very insistent about uh, English, right? She was uh, an English teacher, so it kind of was slappy of use English around the house. So that was very important um, because it just made me very sensitive to things like how am I structuring sentences? Are things very, very clear? Am I explaining this in the best possible way? Could this possibly be misread in any other? Is it ambiguous, right? And that really helps me in my current role where I'm writing, I'm writing pieces that are meant to make very complex things very simple. Right, so the ability to be able to communicate it in a clear, unambiguous way, I think, is very, very important. So, yeah, I would definitely recommend that if you, if you feel even slightly drawn towards writing, you need to hone that as a skill. It's, it's very useful. That makes sense. If I look at your blog, it's, it's structured, it's clear, it's concise. Sometimes it's very difficult to explain all these concepts, right? I, I, I try my best, yeah, but it, it, it does help, yeah. My next question for you is one place that you learn from that you think is underrated or that you want to share about it to our listeners? I wouldn't say underrated by any means, but I would say in terms of, of miles and points, the places that I've learned the most information from, definitely the Mile Lines community, because there are so many people in there with all sorts of amazing ideas, things I've not even considered were possible, right? And they're so willing to share, which is really, really amazing. Um, some people like to hide all the best stuff for themselves. Other people love to share, and I think that is so useful for community building. Uh, I also got the places like Flyer Talk, right? The people on Flyer Talk, they've been doing miles and points for decades and decades. They've forgotten more about about the whole thing than I will ever know. So that's where I find a lot of useful things. Like I find tips about, you know, how to maximize credit card points, little known sweet spots in award charts from very obscure programs elsewhere in the world. I find that really, really useful as well because it just helps to sharpen me because there's so much to know about miles and points, about travel hacking. Uh, there's always new trips, uh, new, new tricks, new tips, always new stuff to learn, keeps it very, very fresh and exciting. Okay. And if you want to get more travel tips, more about more details about what we just shared into this podcast, right? You can always go to Maolan website. What else? Social media. What, are, what else do you have? Yeah, so we're on uh, the usual channels, right? You can find us on Facebook. Uh, our Telegram community is Five probably years. the biggest Miles community you'll find in, in Singapore. So just look up the Maolan on, on Telegram. People have been telling me I should start doing TikTok, and I tell them, well, you know, maybe when I'm when I'm 15 and dancing around in, in a skimpy dress, I'll, I'll consider doing that. Uh, not just yet. Probably won't down 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 that path. I'm kind of like boomer media, so Facebook, you know, Face- millennials, millennials. Facebook is very boomer right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I, I'm I'm into, into all, all all that good stuff. Yeah. Okay, all right. Go check out Mile Lion. <laughs> <laughs>